Did some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face to face and I'm your host Sean McCraney, surrounded by a very fine looking group, all the way from, I was gonna say Bethlehem, all the way <laughs> from Bellflower, California, it's Bethel Grace Community Church. Yes. That's right, and they have a message they wanna share with you. Church. Baptist Church, excuse me, Baptist Church. When it's Baptist, you have to say Baptist, you gotta remember that. <laughs> Baptist Church, and uh, collectively they wanna say something, a one and a two and a three. We're saved by grace alone. Isn't that a beautiful message? Now next to me, is their youth leader. <laughs> and quite frankly, she, this is Martha, she and Johnny have been dating. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, that, that was supposed to be a secret. Uh, Martha, how are you? I am fine and praising the Lord. Praising the Lord and fine. How old are you, if you don't mind me asking? 88. 88 beautiful years of age. That is really wonderful. And how did you get hooked up with these hoodlums? Well, I'm visiting my lifelong friends who are leading in this group. And they're leading the group, I yeah. see. And you have a New York accent somehow. It should be a New Jersey accent originally, but I am from upstate New York. Upstate New York. From the Mountainside Bible Chapel. Mountainside Bible Chapel. It's always great to have visitors. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being on. You can just escape that way. Watch your step. Did someone take Johnny, take Martha by the arm, please, and lead her up. Thank you. <laughs> Gonna get in trouble somewhere tonight. Those of you who can't watch Heart of the Matter on live television can go to www.hotm.tv and watch live streaming video from anywhere in the world. If you have family and friends who can't watch on live television, make sure you tell them no matter where they are, they can go to that website. Now you can hear Heart of the Matter replayed in Utah if you tune into AM820, The Truth, uh, on Sundays from 1 to 2 um, PM. It's a great time to uh, be traveling to a good Bible study. Tune into AM820 The Truth and hear replays of the show. Our Bible study actually starts at the, uh, from 2.30 to 3.30 at the University of Utah. And then afterward, if you're looking for people who are also coming out of Mormonism and you want to be able to talk with them about fears, problems, concerns, who the Lord is, what Christianity is relative to a life in Mormonism, uh, you can join the You're Not Alone group led by Earl and Carla. 
You want more information on all of that stuff, go to www.calvarycampus.com, calvarycampus.com, and you can get more information like that. Presidential elections are coming up in the United States. Are Christians supposed to save the country from political decay and corruption? There are propositions that support and endorse gay marriage. There's abortion propositions. There's war propositions. Are Christians, according to the Bible, called to fight? Are you called to march? Are you called to protest? The stuff on the radio and the stuff you hear and the hype in the newspapers, often from a certain segment of the body, is often hype. Uh, what do you believe? Well, you believe what the Bible says. Wednesday night, July 6, 6 p.m., Join us at Wheeler Farm right here in the Salt Lake Valley where we will challenge anyone to prove that the Bible says differently than what we're going to propose. Uh, if you're tired of being known for more, if you're tired for being known more for what you stand against than what you stand for, join us at Wheeler Farm on a Wednesday, July 6, 6 p.m. to hear a speech and see if it would help you out a moment of propaganda video to show you related to this. We have a rule when you call into Heart of the Matter, and that is no smoking pot. But I have a feeling some of our volunteers have not been listening to that rule. Uh, just to let you know, Wheeler Farm again, July 6, 6 p.m. Be there, be square. Hey, if you're in law enforcement here in the state of Utah and you're looking for a place that you can talk with other people about your work, about the Lord, about what it means to be a Christian, check out www.sofutah, sofutah.com. There should be a logo on the uh, screen for you. And uh, check them out because there's a place there, a community of law enforcement officers who love the Lord, who want to help other people who are uh, in the law enforcement field. Additionally, if you're looking for someone who lives in your area, who has come out of Mormonism and into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then uh, write Sean at AlethiaMedia.com and we'll put you in connection with one of our Alethea representatives out there in the world somewhere. Had a number of comments about my disgrace book uh, talk last week. Sorry, Facebook. Uh, listen, I'm just a guy with opinions. I think being active on Facebook does not make you a good Christian or a bad Christian. I just personally, personally, just think that it's a, it can be a dangerous place as it has a tendency to play to our flesh, to wasted time, and to things, in my opinion, just my opinion, that you could be doing more productively. You know, I, it's just, just the way it is. That being said, uh, go for it if you like it. God's going to love you just the same. And like I said, I've always let my daughters... Uh, have Facebook pages, spend as much time as they want on that thing, uh, whatever it is. It's, I, I just had to uh, 
to make that point. I've also let my daughters play with rats and loaded guns, but uh, just kidding. Uh, so uh, in any case, um, just don't get so upset when I voice my personal opinions. It's not biblical. It's just my personal opinion. Okay. The Book of Mormon Broadway musical swept the Tonys, and of course, people all, all over that thing. Someone sent us a clip, and I have to admit, the thing was hilarious. Uh, what's disturbing, however, is the general LDS reaction to it. Uh, they love it. They love this thing. Now, it mocks the living hell's bells out of Mormonism. It does. It also mocks God. And at Mormons, it, it, to Mormonism, it mocks that they believe what they believe. And yet I have read LDS people actually state that, quote, having a Tony award-winning play about our church makes me proud to live in Utah, end quote. Uh, this response is kind of like the kid who takes all kinds of abuse from a crowd of supposed friends he's hanging around with, but he just keeps hanging around with them happily lapping it up because he's so starved for attention and so wants to be embraced by somebody. So if I were a true believing Mormon, I would stand up and give Broadway the finger for, for mocking my beliefs. I mean, when I watched the clips and I saw them mock God, that ticked me off. I would be like, I don't find this funny at all. But the LDS, because they want to survive and will go to any means to survive. We're going to read an email later. It's going to blow your mind. Uh, they will just embrace whatever. In fact, they've capitalized on it. Uh, if a Christian attacks Mormonism, of course, it's hate speech and it's bigotry and it's we need to shut up. But if a Broadway play mocks Mormonism, well, we're just flattered to death, you know, and that's that it's, it's unbelievable. So what Mormonism has done in the face of this theatrical mockery is they have actually placed million dollar ads million-dollar ads in Times Square, New York City, for Mormon, for the LDS church, and, and are using this to parlay it. I guess it's a business. It's genius when it comes to business, but that's what they are, my friends. It's a business. Just wait and see what they do if they get a president in office. How about a moment from the Word? of Matthew and tonight we come to Matthew 19 3 through 9 now listen I went to the library of course without too much trouble you can find uh, a book that wasn't me that was a visitor from Ireland uh, I'm sorry we are having evil spirits invade the show tonight when we read the word we can take it for what it says and if what it plainly states is irrefutable in terms of the context we have to accept what it says, no matter how painful it may be. Remember, it's God's word is his word to us. And because we don't like what it says or means, it stands. It doesn't really matter what we think of it. So we're going to read from some passages tonight that are a little bit tough. You ready? Matthew 19, beginning at verse 3. The Pharisees also came to Jesus, tempting him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. 
Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. They said unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? And he said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. Verse 9, And I say unto you, here we go, folks, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her which put away, doth commit adultery. Is this true? Yes, it is true. You mean to tell me, Sean, that if I divorce my mean, rabbit-eating, attitudinal wife who screams at me every day of my life and I remarry a kind, gentle Christian soul, I am an adulterer? Yes. According to Jesus, that is God's view of you. Well, you say that I'm not going to believe in God or the Bible. It's ridiculous. Well, that's your choice. But the fact is, if a couple divorces over anything that is not fornication and either of them remarry, they are considered adulterers in God's eyes. We cannot get around that. This is what Jesus says. Anyone who teaches otherwise is putting their notions and they're superimposing their thoughts on God's word. Now, can you handle this title if you're guilty of it or do you get bitter and angry at God? Uh, you better handle it because it sticks. What doesn't stick, listen carefully, what doesn't stick is the punishment for being an adulterer. The title sticks. The punishment through Christ does not, doesn't justify divorce. Remember, Jesus also said that if a man looks upon a woman with lust in his heart, he's committed adultery with her already. And that would make any man who's lusted after another woman an adulterer, wouldn't it? And it would and it does. Many of us are murderers too. Uh, as we have contemplated that act in our heart. And many of us are blasphemers. Some of us are thieves because we have stolen something. Many of us are liars because we have chosen not to speak the truth. Here's the point. In this fallen world, we are all facing some strong marks against us. And the titles stick whether we like them or not. It took Jesus to come and save us, not from the titles of which we are guilty, but from the punishment and the deserved alienation we should have by obtaining those titles in the first place. Okay, you got that? So, uh, we can't change God's view of our fallen actions, but we can receive his loving grace by receiving his son in spite of them. The same truths apply to homosexuality. We cannot change God's view of it, but the homosexual, by faith in his son, can benefit from his or her almighty, from his almighty grace by receiving forgiveness for it. The same is true with divorcees. The same is true with liars. The same is true with the gossip. Do you get it? And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord in heaven, we need you. I need you to say what you want me to say. The things I say which are not of you, let them just float away. We bless and we pray for our audience here live uh, the television audience, the people who go to the archives, to YouTube. We love you, Lord. Pray for our volunteers and staff. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I described Joseph Smith's father and his contribution to Joseph's co uh, composing the Book of Mormon. Uh, we said that his father did not or would not embrace any organized religion. 
He was a universalist who believed everybody would be saved. He waited for the true church of Jesus Christ to be restored to the earth through his own family by someone in it. He faced great financial woes. He enjoyed tipping the bottle a little bit. And he had a penchant for spending a lot of time looking for lost and buried treasures using magic sticks and stones and rods and trickery. We also mentioned that he was a dreamer whose dreams even wound up somehow in the text of the Book of Mormon, and we proved it. We received an email from a critic last week telling us that we're really grasping at straws with all this information, that Joseph Smith had to have just been a genius to pull all these little factors we bring up and incorporate it into his book. First of all, Joseph Smith was a genius, not in terms of mathematics maybe or grammar, but I believe his genius was being able to synthesize things from all areas into a complex religious structure. He was not alone in terms of his ability and his gifts to do this type of thing. Other people have preceded him uh, and, uh, who are, uh, and followed him who are just as genius in their literary and in their uh, uh, synchronistic skills. Secondly, we're merely giving background information here. The hard, cold indictment against Joseph and his fraud are coming down the tracks, and the train is a big old train. We're going to show it hard, cold, but right now, again, we're just establishing facts. So tonight, we're going to look at another powerful influence exerted on the boy prophet, his mother, Lucy Max Smith. Now, there's a lot more information on Lucy Max Smith, Joseph Smith's mother, than his father. I am merely going to give you background on what made her who she was and how this possibly could have influenced her son. Over the course of the year, we'll continue to fill in the blanks about her whereabouts and how she continued to contribute to his makeup and the church that he founded. Most of the information on Lucy Mack Smith comes from Bushman's book and from her own biographical sketches, which can be gotten at utlm.org if you're interested. Now, there are many differences of opinion on whether Joseph Smith's father and mother had a good marriage. Uh, writers, researchers Dan Vogel and Hill says it was not a good marriage. LDS author Bushman uh, naturally says it was a great marriage. But all three agree that there was certainly religious conflict in the marriage of Lucy Mack Smith to Joseph Smith Sr. Like many of you, and like Joseph Smith Jr. himself, I personally know firsthand of what it's like to be raised in a home where there is the matriarch is religiously inclined and the patriarch is indifferent to organized religion. There's a certain dynamic that occurs in children whose parents do not see religion through the same lens. The point here is to get you to try and imagine how a religiously cynical father and a religiously exuberant mother would contribute to the makeup of an imaginative boy who would later, be, who would later call himself the prophet. From the beginning, life was hard on Lucy Mack Smith. In writing about her early life, she spoke primarily about two themes, illness and death. Bushman, Richard Bushman, Bushman writes that Lucy measured her, quote, early years not by happy friendships and childish adventures, but by deaths and illnesses, end quote. This took a toll on her physical and emotional health. At 19 years of age, she wrote, quote, I was pensive and melancholy, and often in my reflections, I thought life was not worth possessing, end quote. 
I do not mean to infer at all that Lucy Max Smith was not interested in God. She came from a family that was extremely devout in their religious appellations. In fact, her oldest brother, Jason, became a preacher at 20 years of age, having sought spiritual gifts outside of established churches since the young age of 16, and he would later establish a religious commune in Canada. That was Joseph Smith's uncle. When Lucy, his mother, was just 16, she had two older sister, sisters, Lavina and Lovisa, who were very ill and were going to die. Sitting bedside, Lucy listened to them as they used their last bits of breath to warn the family on the importance of preparing for eternity. Like her son-to-be, Joseph Jr., Lucy was accustomed to religious differences in the home in which she grew up as her own mother and father seemed to bear the same uh, faith problems that she and her future husband would have. Lucy's mother, Lydia, was a Calvinist who was raised in a deacon's house. After she married her husband, Solomon, she joined the Congregational Church at 30 years of age, uh, while Solomon, Lucy's father, seemed to spend most of his day days in failed attempts at finding wealth. Like the Smith family patriarch, um, patriarchal side, Lucy's father, Solomon Mack, was also a universalist until he came to know the Lord, supposedly, in 1809. Lucy attributes all of her religious piety within herself to her mother, who at minimum was the driving force behind her family gathering together twice daily and praying. Lucy's similar dedication to religious practices would obviously and greatly influence her own brood, which was coming along. At 19 years of age, possibly in response to the depressed state that she found herself in, Lucy wrote in her biographical sketches, quote, in the midst of anxiety of my mind, I determined to obtain, that's what I heard spoken from the pulpit, a change of heart, she writes. Interestingly, the Bible never uses the phraseology, the change of heart or the mighty change of heart that Lucy uses in her own writings, but Joseph Smith, her son, does in the Book of Mormon, Alma 5.22. Was change of heart engraved upon the golden plates that Joseph Smith transcribed, or did Joseph Smith pull that phrase from somewhere else? Ask yourself. Lucy goes on writing in her biographical sketches about her search for this change of heart. Quote, I spent much of my time in the, reading in the Bible and praying. Nevertheless, she was afraid to join any single denomination for fear of offending others. As devoted as she was uh, to her general religious practices, Lucy did maintain a common attitude found in her husband and the rest of the family. She, she said, quote, if I remain a member of no church, all religious people will say I am of the world. And if I join some of the different denominations, all the rest will say that I am in error. No church will admit that I am right except the one with which I am associated. While at first glance, this seems to be kind of an indictment on the Christian church of her era. They're all pulling for and saying each one is true. This one's true. This one's true. But listen to this again, and I think it reveals Lucy Max Smith personality through her quote. Listen to what it says. In fact, I'm going to put it on the screen. She writes, if I remain a member of no church, all religious people will say I am of the world. And if I join some of the different denominations, all the rest will say I am in error. No church will admit that I am right, except the one I am associated with. Several predominant personality traits of Lucy Max Smith present themselves in quotes like these time and time again. 
they are almost overwhelmingly obsessed with trying to please God through a religious sense or a religious allegiance, while at the same time being very aware of her social status in the community. These traits carried over into her marriage to Joseph Smith Sr. and into the very character of her prophet son. LDS psychologist C. Jess Grosbeck suggests that, quote, an overriding theme that emerges from Lucy Mack's autobiography is perfectionism and moralism surrounding a religious quest that was part of an attempt to save and heal her own husband, end quote. With a history of a brother who led a Christian commune, a Calvinist mother, uh, watching her sisters die as they pleaded for her family to look for eternal salvation, bouts of anxiety and depression, Joseph Smith's mother was primed for a life of religious obsession. I would suggest religious delirium and everything that it person it, it would entail. After marrying Joseph Smith's father, a man rebellious to organized religion, and having given birth to three children, not Joseph yet, Lucy got very sick. Some say it was consumption, some say pneumonia. There are others who describe, who are in the professional realm of psychology who said that it was a nervous breakdown. Describing her condition, she wrote, quote, I continued to grow weaker and weaker until I could barely endure a footfall on the floor, except in stocking foot, and no one was allowed to speak in the room above a whisper. It was here that a Methodist exhorter came to visit the Smiths and he asked Lucy Mack Smith, are you ready to die? In her response in her autobiography, with verbiage that could have been taken straight out of the Book of Mormon, she writes, quote, I knew not the ways of Christ. Besides, there appeared to be a dark and lonely chasm between myself and the Savior, which I dared not attempt to pass, end quote. As she laid there on her bed, she said she contemplated her death and came to believe that by, quote, straining towards the light, which I knew lay just beyond the gloomy veil before me, I could discover a faint glimmer. She begged God to spare her life and secretly covenanted right then and there that, quote, if he would let me live, I would endeavor to get that religion that would enable me to serve him right, whether it be in the Bible, listen to this, or whether it might be found or wherever it might be found, even if it was to be obtained from heaven by prayer and faith. She then goes on to say she heard a voice speak to her in this state that said, quote, Seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. Ye believe in God, believe in me also, end quote. Her recovery began immediately thereafter. A few years later, Joseph Smith Jr. was born. In Lucy's own words, we learn that Joseph Smith's mother was, quote, unsure of her salvation, even as she laid at death's door, and in spite of her religious upbringing. That like her son to follow, she was a religious visionary to the point of claiming to see faint light, uh, glimmering lights from heaven and to actually have claimed to hear the voice of God speak to her. We know that she was willing to embrace religion even when found outside of the Bible if it would enable her to serve God right and that she would spend her life in search of such a religion if God would let her live. All of her personal religious dispositions, if not spiritual delusions, were firmly in place just shortly before Joseph Smith was born. In addition to her religious makeup and moralistic stance on life and living, Lucy Mack Smith was, like her husband, uh, a, 
a visionary, and, her, and like her son, he was a visionary and a prophetic dreamer. In 1803 or 1804, she found herself greatly troubled by her husband's resistance to join an organized religion. What was she supposed to do? In her biographical sketches, she tells us that she, quote, retired to a grove of trees to pray for her husband to experience a change of heart. After falling asleep that night when she returned home, she said she had a, t a dream of two tall trees standing together. And she saw those dreams as prophetic, prophetically speaking to her about her husband and her husband's brother, one being movable to the wind, which was her husband, and one being immovable to the wind or the spirit, which was her uncle. I mean, her brother-in-law. With a father as a stubborn universalist who had a taste for drink, couldn't make money, but loved to spend his time dabbling in folk magic, and a mother who was prone to dreams that had secretly covenanted with God to spend her days searching for the true religion, religion, the family was in need of something no less than a religious deliverer, a restorationist, which they had promised would come through their genes by the grandfather of Joseph Smith, Jr. Someone to come along and bring everyone together under an umbrella of religious truth that the whole family could enjoy. It was in these conditions that Joseph Smith Jr. was born, becoming as it was a prime candidate to bring unity and peace to his parents' marriage and to the Smith home. Jesus obviously had not done it for them. They claimed that they had Jesus in their lives for decades, but what did he bring? Faith, peace, trust in him and him alone? No, not at all. Religion didn't heal them. All it did was bring division in their dirt poor ranks. No, something had to be done, something that gave new hope, a fresh start, answered questions, that united the family. In light of it all, Joseph Smith decided to make himself a faith, and in the process, he became a hero of the day. I don't think he realized his efforts would be embraced by millions of people centuries later. I propose that the Book of Mormon and the establishment of the church was in part, in part, an immediate response to the marital needs and the familial needs of Joseph Smith and his family. I think the announcement of seeing uh, the Lord fit well into the psychological makeup of the mother, and I think that the ultimate revelations that told him all churches were wrong satisfied the uh, religious bent of his father. And I think the announcement of the Barry Golden Plates gave the family some future hope, if not through sales of a book, through the gold plates themselves, hoping to cash in on those things. And I think the text of the translated book, founded on the themes we have already discussed, later served to give the Smith family the direction, promise, and public acclaim that they had sought for. Indeed, Lucy Max Smith's wishful prayer of, quote, getting that religion wherever it was in the Bible or wherever it might be found was fulfilled, not by God, but by her middle son. All right, let's open up the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. While we're waiting for operators to clear the calls, we have some absolutely amazing emails. Uh, one of them, quickly, Orson Pratt declared. This is from uh, Bill F. The Book of Mormon claims to be divinely inspired record. If false, it is one of the most cunning, wicked, bold, deep laid impositions ever palmed upon the world, calculated to deceive and ruin millions. If true, no one can possibly be saved and reject it. If false, no one can possibly be saved and received it. 
if after a rigid examination it be found an imposition or a lie, it should be extensively published to the world as such. The evidences and arguments on which the imposture was detected should clearly and logically be stated. The LDS call and say, you're picking on us, you're picking on the church. I'm doing exactly what one of your early apostles said. Take the Book of Mormon and dissect it and show us how it's wrong. We're going through and we're doing that. So don't pick on us because we do. Finally, uh, or and additionally, Anne wrote and said, uh, last week you made a comment about Christians supporting LDS presidential candidates. She says, what if it comes down to an election between the LDS presidential candidate or the evil candidate who is in the White House at this moment? Who do we choose? Wouldn't we want to choose the, quote, lesser of two evils? Uh, I want to say, lesser of two evils? Choose the lesser of two evils? Have you ever thought of not voting? Have you ever thought of casting your vote that way? Come to Wheeler Farm, July 6, 6 p.m., and hear the most bi biblically-based answer you're going to get on that question. Uh, operators are clearing calls, but we do have Matt from Provo, first-time caller, who is LDS. Mormons Matt, out of state are, like, totally different uh, Wrong people. line, Sean. Uh, okay, we're, my, we're on line one. Hold on. And I hope you who's on there has a really good question. He does. Okay, excellent. Hold on. We'll go to line two. Matt. You're on Heart of the Matter. Matt? 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 Did, did Matt hang up? He's LDS. First time caller. I'd love to get him. All right, Matt. Call back. One of the most unbelievable articles I have ever read. Can you zoom in on that, somebody? Derek? <sighs> you know who that guy is? This is in the Salt Lake Tribune. Can you get it, Derek? Salt Lake Tribune. This guy's name is uh, Adam Ford, and he is a managing partner of the law firm Ford & Huff in South Jordan, Utah. Says he lives in Alpine. He put that in there. So I guess this is part of an advertising thing. He says, Book of Mormon musical can inspire doubters to stay in the church. And he made a comment that the, the, that the play was inspiring, and that he says, what I meant is Matt Parker and Trey Stone, they're the guys who wrote the, the musical and produced it, may well have been stirred by the divine in writing the musical. He goes on and says, listen to this. If a belief leads people to happiness and a better quality of life, that belief is a good thing. And, he writes, here's the key, people shouldn't allow doubts about the truthfulness of that belief to interfere with its impact. Do you know what he's saying there? A lie goes a lot farther and is more meaningful if it makes people happy than the truth if it makes people sad. He continues and says, quote, Truth can be the enemy of good. Fables can shape behavior for the benefit of all society. If religious stories help people love their neighbor and treat them with dignity and respect, they are noble regardless of historical or metaphysical reliability. Being a part of a church organization that tells a story or professes doctrine that might not be entirely correct may be worth it. In fact, the stories are often key in giving members the strength 
to make the world a better place. This is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. Uh, it's like saying communism does good, therefore embrace it because of the good that it does. It's like saying uh, Adolf Hitler, I'm sorry to use Hitler, but it's like saying Adolf Hitler cleared the streets of Germany of, of uh, bad theater, of uh, sex uh, trade stuff, of alcoholism. He made Germany stronger. He made them better. He, he saved their economy. Because of all the good he did for the fatherland, leave him alone. The fables he taught are worth it. That's, this is exactly what this guy is saying. Uh, he doesn't, they don't care about the truth, my friends. They don't care what truth is. They care that something works for them. The Bible is clear. Jesus was clear. If you embrace me, life is going to get tough. It's not going to be easy. You're going to be persecuted. And you're not going to be popular. And people are not going to hate you because they first hated me. This guy, this LDS attorney, who's a managing partner, he has the audacity to say that live the lie because it, it works for you. It's the sickest thing I have ever seen in my life. The sickest thing. And this is, this is the delusion that this poor state is under. It's this delusion. Okay. Phones are back up. Let's go with Matt in Provo, line two. Matt, you're on Heart of the Matter. Matt. Are you just not answering so you can waste our time? Hang up from Matt because he's not, he's not answering. So don't have Matt call back. All right, let's go to Tracy in California, first-time caller and LDS. No, TJ, line three. TJ, you're on Heart of the Matter. TJ, you got to turn your TV down. All right. TJ, turn your TV down. All right, it's down. Okay, you're on the air. All right. I can still hear your TV, TJ. Who's LDS? Hello? What's that? Hey, is this Sean? Yeah, this is Sean, TJ. You have to turn your TV down. All right. Okay, TJ, you told me you turned it down a minute ago, and I can still hear it. All right, can you still hear it now? Nope, you're on the air. What's going on? All right. Yeah, um, this is uh, different to what you've been talking about before today, but um, um, I, hear, I hear you once, um, I actually found this on YouTube, but um, I heard you once say that Justin Smith like, plagiarized the Book of Mormon from the... King James Bible? He plagiarized the King James Bible into the Book of Mormon, yeah. Yeah. But what I want to know is that um, how could Joseph Smith plagiarize something that he had no way of even known about? Okay, Joseph Smith's parents, uh, you just, if you just listen to the show, TJ, the parents were, the mother was very religious. Joseph Smith said in his own history, I can learn more by taking the Bible and reading it myself. Uh, than to go to church. The guy had access to Bibles. He was raised on the Bible. So he had an access... Yeah, yeah go ahead. Yes, but, um, did he have access to something called the uh, 40-day literature? Have you ever heard of that? Did he have access to what? Did he ever have access to something called the 40-day literature? The 40-day literature? I have no idea if he had access to that. But what I do know is he had access to the King James Bible. And listen... He used words that were used in Greek, okay? And he applied them to a time when the Greek language didn't exist, as far as we know it. It's called an anachronism. It's a pure plagiarism. 
There's no explanation for it other than the guy had a Bible sitting out. He quoted from it. He put it in his notes, put the hat on, and he read from it, and he quoted it. So, I mean, it's all through it. It's like the amount of the King James Bible and even the mistakes that are in the King James Bible. There's some transcribal errors in the King James Bible. Even the mistakes made it into the Book of Mormon. You know, so if he's translating this from golden plates and he's translating from a King James Bible that was translated way after the plates were made, how is he including the errors that are in the King James, modern King James Bible? Well, okay, I know how it works. Like, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of, like, similarities and stuff, but, but not... well, what I want to tell you about is something called the 40-day literature. It's a lot of other um, early Christian literature that was once known about by the church, but then lost over the centuries, and in our day, have since been rediscovered, and the things, like the teachings and stuff, these are 40-day secret teachings of Jesus Christ, really? apostles, that, that is what? not in the Bible. Which, so once you look at those um, teachings in there, you can which, find okay, all of them. Okay, wait, 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 wait a second. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. You're talking about, you're saying that we have these Gnostic writings that were not known, and they, and they have been recently discovered, and we now can read them, and you find those things written in the Book of Mormon. Is that what you're saying? Well, not, not me. I heard, I heard through scholars, like, through scholars. It, it okay, that gonna, okay it, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I found it everywhere in the Bible that, I mean, not the Bible, Book of Mormon that the Bible yeah. does not have. Okay, you know what this is? This is total spin of your scholarly uh, uh, attempts to justify the Book of Mormon. Joseph Smith had access to a Bible that had the Apocrypha in it. Maccabees in, in, in the Apocrypha, which is a book that's not included in the typical King James of a Protestant church, has the name Nephi in it, okay? A major name in the Book of Mormon. He had access to plenty of things. But what you're saying, I'd like to hear proof of it rather than calling and saying, I don't know what it is, but I heard some scholars say it. It does nothing for the conversation. We want hard proof. We want facts. We don't want just feelings and thoughts that you hear from someone about someone about someone. You have to get facts. That's up to you to get them and prove me wrong. If, wait, 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 if, wait, 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 if you prove me wrong, you can come on the show and say, Sean, proven, here, scholars prove, biblical scholars agree, Joseph Smith could not have known this stuff and it's in the Book of Mormon, I will say I am sorry and give you a hundred bucks. But you got to do your homework instead of just coming on and, and talking about what you've heard. Okay? We're done. <laughs> All right, we're going to uh, Glenn and Ogden, first-time caller. Glenn, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how you doing? Hey, good, Glenn. How are you? I'm doing good. I, I'm uh, Jack Mormon from out of state, uh -huh. California. But my roots are, are the Mormon pioneers. But upon moving to Utah, I just wasn't accepted by the Utah Mormons. I was just wondering, why are they so obsessed with, with shunning and blacklisting? I don't know. You know, it's, it's typical for any totalist group. And what I mean by that is they say we have the truth and the full truth and no one else has the full truth. When you have a group that says that, you either conform or you're cast out. You either look exactly. like... You either look like them, you, dr you dress like them, you eat like no. them, and you drive your car like them, and you pray and worship like them, and you give talks in Sunday school like them, and then you might be included in the group. But you deviate from a few of those things in a totalist group, and you're gone. So that's probably why. 
That that is exactly. I tried to walk the walk and talk the talk, but it just didn't work. Well, you know, you're you're revealing your hands somehow. You're doing something that lets him know he's not one of us. You know, it might be a little alcohol in the breath, a little coffee, a little tobacco smoke. It might be that you don't wear a white shirt. It might be that you have a goatee, a ponytail. It might be that you've been divorced. It might be that you're gay. It might be that you've committed adultery. It might be any host of things that happens that they keep secret in their lives and then portray this everything is wonderful outwardly. Yes, that's exactly what... I think he broke the rule. Uh, yeah, listen, you broke to break the rules, and, and you're never forgiven, you know? Isn't that amazing? Jesus forgave you on the cross 2,000 years ago, my brother. And here's the thing. You say you're a Jack Mormon, drop that title, Jack and Mormon, and go to a Christian church and come to know the Lord and open up that Bible and find out what a relationship means versus all this religious junk. Go do it, okay? Great. Thank you. All right, Glenn. Take care. All right. Thanks a lot. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Maryland and St. George. First time caller. Maryland, you're on Heart of the Matter. Maryland? We're having trouble with line two. Maryland, we're gone. I'm sorry. Um, for a second, while we're, the operators are working on line two, we're going to run a partner spot. Keep trying to call 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We'll be back with calls, emails, partner spot now. We're back, and we want to thank you for all your support in whatever way it comes. Uh, Jeff wrote, Sean, I've been asked to give a talk in sacrament meeting on Sunday. Uh, do you have any suggestions? Yeah, I would uh, talk on the deity of Christ. I would, get, I would go and uh, I would uh, go on Google to make it easier on yourself, write scriptural proofs that Jesus is God. You're going to come up to a Christian site, check it out, make sure it's Christian, and you're going to get a plethora of examples of how Jesus is God and scriptural proofs for them. Take those. Compose your talk around it and talk about Jesus is God. And then sit down. You don't, try, I mean, you don't have to cause a ruckus about Joseph Smith or anything else. Jesus, the deity of, of Christ. And start planting those seeds. And LDS who are listening, we're looking for something to talk about. Talk about the deity of Christ. Okay, Chris writes, I'm a Jehovah's Witness and not a Mormon, but I've studied with the Mormons. How do I get the truth to them? <laughs> 
Also, how did Joseph Smith get these ideas to write the Pearl of Great Price? Okay, this whole gig is really getting messy, man. I mean, a Jehovah's Witness is asking about how to teach the truth to a Mormon. It's like a dog uh, writing about how to teach a cat to stop shedding hair. It's, it's, I mean, <laughs> this stuff is getting so convoluted in these last days. You don't know what's up or down. What is truth? Asked Pilate to Jesus. What is truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. Uh, these are his words. He is the word. This is him. So he is it. There is not religion. There's not a sect. There's not a denomination. There's not a religious practice. There's not a relationship with a pastor or a pope or a bishop or a stake president or a, or a prophet. He is the truth. And so how you get the truth to them, my Jehovah's Witness friend, is you know what the truth is. It doesn't come through the Watchtower or Charles Taz Russell or uh, going out on Saturdays and knocking on doors like the missionaries do. It comes through him and him alone. Okay? Nothing more. All right. Let's try Maryland and St. George again on line one. We'll give you another go. Marilyn, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh. Hi, Sean. Hi, Marilyn. I love your program. Thank you. I watch it every week, and I used to. I was LDS, and thank God I'm born again Christian. Praise God. But my family is all very straight Mormon, and I do not know how to get to them. I do not know how to, other than pray for them, how to sh what what scriptures to really share with them, uh, how to get them switched over. <laughs> yeah, switched I'm over. like I'm just. Wow. You know, it's gotta I just happen. get angry because they won't Marilyn, be down so much. It's got to happen uh, through the Lord. And, you know, you're going to talk to your blue in the face like we do on here. But it's going to be when people are ripe to hear the truth. And, and it somehow comes with their willingness to embrace the truth of Jesus above everything else. A willingness to sacrifice. A willingness to suffer. It takes humility. It takes uh, eyes that open, ears to hear, eyes that see, hearts that feel. And so you're going to have to approach them prayerfully, and you're going to have to approach them in love. And all the facts and things, you might, that might come up when you have a chance to share that. But the initial thing is going to be, you just talk about Jesus. You've been born again, what Jesus means to you, who Jesus is to you, why Jesus is the only way, the truth, and life, why his word is so important, how you know you're saved. And how it's not based on your work. Just Jesus and all of that. And they'll throw up different things along the way. But it's going to be him that opens the door of those hearts. It's not going to be facts. Facts do not matter to the Mormons. We read that email from that attorney. doesn't matter what's true. Just what's works. So down there in St. George, they're fat, dumb, and happy. You want to make them see that that's not going to last into an eternity. Into an eternity, fat, dumb, and happy turns into skinny, smart, and burning. Or whatever the opposite is. So you've got to know who Jesus is. And that's the best I can give you, my friend. Oh, okay. That's awesome. And praise God. And I love your program, Sean. Thanks for watching, Marilyn. Keep going. Keep, keep going. Thanks. Bye-bye. Greetings from the UK from Polly Andre is her name. Uh, she says, I know you get hundreds and hundreds of emails. She says, I was the first member of the family to learn about the untruthfulness of the church. Since then, husband, daughters, husbands, two children, friends have left. My son and his wife are true believing Mormons have stated that I will be held accountable not only for leaving the church, but leading others astray, including their children. I guess they have a lot of them. Uh, 
my husband does not believe this, and neither do I, but my daughter, who has newly come out, is really worried about this. Um, we watch your programs all the time via the internet, appreciate counsel, on the air if possible, and that's from Polly in the UK. Uh, Polly and family, congratulations on being willing to uh, let all that stuff go that gives so much certainty and assurity to you and sacrificing it literally for the Lord and for truth. Uh, I would agree with your son and his wife. You will be held accountable for leading these people away or astray from a false religion and into a relationship with Jesus alone. Uh, that will, accounting will end in his praise for your efforts. Um, on the other hand, those who believe a lie also will be held accountable. People tend to, tend to think that if they embrace a counterfeit and they're deluded by that counterfeit, that God will say, well, you know, you tried and you, you embrace the counterfeit, but you're forgiven. Jesus warned, false prophets are going to be everywhere. It does play into it. So people have to say, I want the truth. And they have to make that decision. Your son and his wife will be accountable for loving darkness more than light in the end. Now, it doesn't mean darkness like, ah, darkness. It means <laughs> lack of light. Dark. It means not the light of God darkness, okay? And that's what the world provides. So keep on going, keep sharing, and don't let their threats and fear-based uh, accusations scare you. Tell your daughter, open up the John, read with him, pray with her, and it will get all better. Polly, Andre, uh, how can you open a discussion with your LDS family after you leave the LDS church? It's pretty tough. In my own family, it doesn't work. I have absolutely no respect with my brothers or sisters. My parents, they just kind of endure what I do uh, because they don't have another choice. But I have no respect in my own family. Uh, my brothers and sisters, they do not listen to anything I have to say. So I couldn't say, hey, it goes like this. However, that being said, we have seen single people come out of families, especially in South County, uh, like near Orm and Provo. It seems like one person comes out and entire families start coming out. So, you know, it's going to be uh, sharing love, sharing Jesus, representing him in your walk, loving them, sharing him, stuff like that, which I already talked about. Scroll down. Wouldn't Joseph Smith be a, be a god now and where? Joseph Smith, throughout their uh, writings, stands and he is going to allow you into the celestial kingdom or not. You've got to pass by Joseph Smith to get there. That is through and through their history. Go to utlm.org if you're looking for information to help you understand that. I'm not making it up. Plenty of quotes. Joseph Smith stands waiting for you and he will decide whether you get to merit celestial life or not. Really interesting, huh? Another question off air. Have you heard? I'll keep reading this. All right. Uh, Scott writes, Jesus told the woman who had committed adultery, go and sin no more. He also told the man he healed at Bethsaida, uh, sin no more. Why do you tell them to sin no more when it's impossible for us not to sin? There's no way for those people could sin no more. Why did he say that when we are saved by grace and not by obedience only? Uh, first of all, I recommend you get a thing called the Power Bible. If you are looking to uh, sharpen your wits on, on the Bible, Power Bible, it's a free downloadable thing on the internet and you just download it onto your laptop or home computer and uh, it has all kinds of references to help you with those things. The greatest Bible commentators, the greatest cross-references. So Power Bible is something to do, but let me just explain it to you this way. Jesus' ministry was to the children of Israel when he came. Uh, yes, his life and sacrifice was for all the world, 
But when he was alive, he was only to the children of Israel. And his purpose was to get them to see their need for the Messiah. He wanted them to see they needed him. All of Matthew 5, 6, and 7 testifies of this because he lays things out to them and the apostles would come and say, how are we going to be saved? You know, how, how can we do this? And Jesus would say, with men, with you, it's not possible. But with God, all things are possible. And his whole purpose was to get the Jews either then or later on through the apostolic teachings to say, Jesus is the only answer. Through Paul's teachings, etc., he's the only way. And so when he would say this, go and sin no more. So the person wanders off and they've been healed and they sin. And you, obviously they're going to sin again. And so Jesus commands them, go and sin no more. He does not want you to sin, but they do. And they say, what can I do? So they go back and search who is this guy who, said, who healed me and he told me to go and sin no more? Well, he came and he died for you and he shed his blood for you. And they start hearing how the apostles teach the gospel and then they're converted. And that was the whole purpose of everything he commanded when it came to the hyperbole of you must do this like this. It was to teach them. They couldn't do it on their own. The law never perfected anybody. It was a schoolmaster to bring them to Christ. And that's what Jesus did, okay? Uh, have you heard LDS missionaries are not allowed to bathe or shower on Sundays? They're allowed to bathe. They're allowed to shower on Sundays. LDS missionaries are not allowed to swim in swimming pools, rivers, ponds, uh, oceans, uh, anytime on their mission. People often wonder, how did this come about? They say uh, it, uh, when Joseph Smith was alive, he and another guy were walking along a very stormy river and it was night and there was a big storm going on. And one of them, it wasn't Joseph, said, I see the devil riding on the water. They literally said devil. And it, Joseph Smith said, yes, the devil's on the water. And so from that came this idea that the devil controls the water through that little story. Now, why missionaries don't swim because they let other people swim, they say, well, it's an activity that usually causes more uh, harm than good. If you have 60,000 missionaries and all of them are allowed to swim, we're probably going to have some drownings, and parents aren't going to be very happy that their child drowned when they were on their mission. So we have prohibited swimming altogether while they're on their mission. But not bathing and showering, they can still bathe and shower. Okay. Do you know anything about the Anton Transbution? The Anton, uh, yeah, the Anton manuscript, and we're going to talk about that as time moves on. Uh, Roland asks, what Bible do you suggest? I do not have one, and I'd like to get one to use in the study. The Bible I like is, I like the King James Version, because that's what I grew up in being LDS, but I love the King James Version of the Thomas Cha Thompson Chain Bible. The reason I like that is because it uses the Bible to reference what it says in this verse. This verse, you read it, and it gives you references to the next verse that talks about the same thing. And everything referenced within the Bible. I don't have columns here that say, this is what um, this scholar teaches, or this is what this commentary teaches. This is Bible only, and that's how you get to know the Bible, is by using something that references itself. So I highly recommend that. 19 seconds left. Uh, keep with us. We're going to keep going through the Book of Mormon, and we're going to start talking about what contributed to its makeup meaning the magic folk practices and all the other things that came along with us. Join us next week as we continue to explore the fraudulent means of the Book of Mormon here on Heart of the Matter. Mm -hmm.